The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 35. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Uh, but right now we're discussing Star Trek Discovery in the most recent episode that uh, has aired or released or streamed. I, I got to update my language for the, the modern day, which is the episode entitled Enobal for Charon. Or Charon. Or Karen. Oh, I mean, in, I in Greek, it would be Karen, <laughs> but that, you know, is kind of fancy for English. Yeah, my wife's a <laughs> my wife's a classics major. She uh -huh. corrected me like three times this weekend, and I still got it wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> Karen, uh, joining me today on the panel, as you heard, and as always, are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Good. So, folks, uh, remember to like the Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook uh, at the StarQuest Media Facebook page. In fact, if you go to facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, you'll find us there. Uh, you can retweet it on Twitter at SQPN. Leave us comments on the shows. We love to get your feedback. We're looking for more. We want to interact with you uh, on this, and you'll hear some feedback at the end of the episode. Uh, be sure, if you have not yet done so, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app. Mine is Overcast. You might like Pocket Casts uh, or the Apple Podcast app. Or you can subscribe on YouTube, where you should hit the bell to make sure you get notifications uh, when we post a new episode. And above all, please share the podcast with your friends, your your tricky friends out there who have not had the pleasure of joining us in this conversation. We want to, uh, to, to have more folks be part of this fun that we're having, especially with new Star Trek TV. Uh, we, we love to, to talk to them about that. And, you know, let's grow this community of listeners. Uh, one one little bit of promotion, self-promotion here, folks. Uh, if you are not yet, have you not yet listened to or tried out our new show, The Secrets of Technology, where Father Corey joins me as well oh, as yes. some other folks. <clears throat> we do that every week and we approach tech news from a uh, particular point of view, a Catholic point of view. Uh, it would probably unlike any other uh, tech news show out there. So give it a, ch uh, a try. Go to sqpn.com slash technology and uh, check it out. So, so, so all that, the businesses that. So that means yeah. what? You like sprinkle holy water on the technology? Basically, we, we declare we, we it all do, uh, from the devil. We do until, <laughs> the, until the holy smoke comes out. Then then we stop doing it. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, do not dip your phone in the holy water. Font. So it's kind that, of an alternative incense system. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. When you release the smoke, it goes up to God and your and your phone and we, goes. We have to cast out the demon of the technology. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough silliness. So uh, this week's episode um, is an O-Ball for uh, Karen. Uh, it was didn't uh, explain the title during the show. I was a little surprised. I exactly. It's a it's a title. I was going to I was going to bring that up because it's a title that is in reference to something that not, that never gets explicitly explained. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
um, let's talk about what the title episode is referring to. Yeah. So what's an what's an obol? An obol is a kind of Greek coin and um, it, uh, a common custom. I mean, they used it to buy stuff, but a common burial custom was um, to place an obol in the mouth of the deceased person or sometimes on the eyes of the deceased person. And the idea was that the dead person would then give it to uh, Charon or Charon, the ferryman, who would then ferry you across the river Styx. So this was like his payment to take you to the afterlife. And um, and uh, so we find a lot of of obols in like Greek uh, uh, burials. It's part of standard Greek funerary goods. And um, and they don't really explain it in the episode, but obviously we have a life form passing from the scene in this episode. So that life form is trying to, tra- as we find out, spoilers, is trying to transmit its knowledge before it dies. And somehow that's like the obol, maybe. But it doesn't make a yeah. lot of sense. Maybe. I mean, I, I guess they're like paying the enterprise or paying the discovery. It didn't quite fit. I wish they'd given us a little well, more of an explanation. Well, in fact, there's I think there's possibly three uh, 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 ways that it applies in this mm-hmm. episode. Um, we also have the, Saru, the, the May yeah, alien, the May alien, Saru and this um, yeah. giant uh, alien virus sphere the, the, the big, big sphere the, yeah the planet thing yeah <laughs> give it a name yeah speaking of the ferryman of the dead i mean this is a star trek has had the ferryman of the dead before in a, a voyager episode called barge of the dead we get to see the klingon version of this where uh balana torres ends up on the barge of the dead between stovokor which is klingon heaven and uh grethor which is klingon hell uh and so it so it's kind of interesting to see how They've they've incorporated this this uh, imagery from Greek mythology into uh, into Star Trek multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of kind of interesting. So let's uh, let's jump into the episode itself. Um, we we start off with the return of number one. Yeah, uh, not Riker, <laughs> but <laughs> the original number one, the number one number one, uh, who is the. The Pike's first officer in the cage and uh, and in uh, menagerie. Uh, we we uh, it was originally played by Majel uh, uh, Barrett Roddenberry. Uh, eventually, she was she became Gene Roddenberry's wife, but uh, now is played by Rebecca Romaine, the uh, actress. Yeah. And uh, they still haven't given her a name other than number one. Yeah, it's it's interesting. They've given her some personality though. I mean, there's yeah. a few interesting personality quirks that, that we see. She's not as cool. I mean, in her temperament as Majel yes. Barrett, Majel Barrett was kind of uh very cold in cold. this role. Reserve. And, and yeah. the new number one is not quite as cold. Right. In it, fact, it, that, that coldness was an element in the cage. They, yeah. they made it a plot element. Father Corey. I was going to say she was almost as we would consider Vulcan like, Yes, at yeah. the time, you know, but it wasn't quite at that time. They hadn't developed that yet. Yeah. And, and in fact, they in this episode, they make her quite spicy in a way. Yeah, in the sense of literally. Uh, you know, <laughs> literally where she goes to the 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 mess hall with uh, with Pike 
and orders this meal with what was it like a uh, ghost pepper sauce or it was habanero, uh, habanero sauce, habanero uh, sauce. Uh, yeah, yeah burger with habanero sauce cheeseburger and fries <laughs> with habanero sauce is like wow okay <laughs> she's yeah. got an iron stomach <laughs> no so if, it, if if it had if i ghost pepper would be really impressive although not as impressive as carolina reaper yeah. yes yes uh, all of these things which i have long passed in my days of being able to consume uh, as a younger man, I might, I, if, I might if have you but... ever consumed ghost pepper or Cal- Carolina Reaper. I would be impressed. Yeah, I there once had can. ghost pepper salsa, which it was pretty light ghost pepper, mm-hmm. and it was way too hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so uh, and I won't go to all my tales of my impressive spicy food uh, eating, but uh, but what another interesting element in this conversation between Pike and R- Number One is they talk. They're talking about the Enterprise. Uh, being fixed it's under repairs as we, we learned in the first episode of the season um and they make a funny scotty reference where uh number one says i don't think enterprise will ever have an engineer more in love with his ship yeah and you know mm. oh yes of course scotty will be you know reference acknowledged it's moving on yep. um and then there's a, a little conversation where we get this once again pike making a reference to wanting the holographic communication systems ripped out um, and and mm-hmm. he's kind of and he kind of says it's part of the reason why the enterprise is messed up. I I I, I kind of missed that a little bit. I, I tried to listen to it a couple of times. I'm not sure what they, he was they just trying to say. Threw there. It out there, and I think they threw it out there more of a here's why in Discovery we started with these holographic communication technologies, but then in the original series they used view screens. Well, it's because Pike had it ripped out and Kirk never had it yeah, replaced. That's going yeah. a little far to my mind. We don't need that much attention to continuity. I do right. think I, I do think they were yeah. trying to hint though that the problems that the Enterprise faced when with its computer and everything came in through the holographic yeah. system. Yes. That's what they were trying to reference, trying to say, but it really okay. was there just to say, hey, wink, wink. Now you know why we didn't have holograms in original series. Wink, wink. Except they kind of do if you look closely. Uh, what if you look at the view screens they have, like those little um, correct little triangular ones on on briefing desks um they at times will show things at angles that indicate that that's a 3d display there and is a hologram in the proper sense these things that people call holograms where you like see a freestanding figure in the middle of a room with not on a screen that's that's not just a hologram that's a volumetric display and right, so, right. but people tend to call volumetric displays holograms just because they're three dimensional. But you can have a holographic screen, and right. and and we have indications both on the original series and on next gen that the screens they have are holographic. Yep. Right. I, this is part of that effort, I think. To, you know, to kind of uh, you should have a podcast about technology or something and talk about. I know, this. right? Exactly. That would be an interesting topic in a yeah. podcast of that sort. Uh, so you know, it's I think it's part of this effort to 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 respond to fan criticism mm-hmm. uh, of the first season how you know one of the things was that the technology was so different uh, that it was so grim that and and i think they're trying to take these steps to kind of mollify that i think you could go too far with that as well i i don't necessarily think they need to make a big deal out of the yeah. technology being more advanced i i don't want to see a Star Trek discovery that looks like it was made in mm-hmm. 1963. I just, well, you know, that would be boring to me. Un- unfortunately, there are fans who they expect that since this is set, you know, what, 10 years before the original series, it has to look like it was 10 years before the original series. And, right. you know, you're just not going to get there. You're it's, just not going to get there. You know, the technology, yeah. you know, to be honest, by the time 
humanity is at that year, you know, the 24th century, discovery is going to look old and dated. Right. Time. Our technology <laughs> and, and, is going to look completely different. We don't need to have an right. idea of what the 24th century technology is going to look like. 50 years from now, the technology of then will look as advanced as discovery looks over original. Exactly. Series. So that's, so we just have to kind of, you know, go with enjoy it. what we it's, have. It's right. really just a show. We should really just relax. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take William Shatner's advice uh, on that one. So, uh, uh, Pike and number one have this uh, discussion of the, that follows about their a level one invest, investigation into Spock, you know, and something about this whole situation doesn't sit right with her. This whole idea that he killed three of his doctors and escaped. And, uh, I, I and like, they ha- I like Pike's line to her where he says, I need to know why you decided to detour Federation protocols. I like that euphemism detour Federation break, break the rules. <laughs> yes. Yes. Violate the, 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 the law. Uh, and it seems appropriate that the Enterprise's first officer and their captain are the ones who are most invested in finding out what's going on mm-hmm. because they are loyal to their crew. He is a he is a, a officer, a bridge officer on on the Enterprise. It fits with how you know that idea that we have about that loyalty among Enterprise officers with one another, and and it it, it has a real Star Trek feel to it, and I, I appreciate them keeping this element in there of Spock is a as an officer on the Enterprise, Pike is the captain of the Enterprise, ultimately this is a, a temporary position. And I like having that continuing on in, in Discovery. Um so then we have uh Stamets, the the uncannily nice Stamets. This has been, you know, been a little <laughs> weird so far. Uh very different Stamets. He's gone through a life change, I know. Yep. Um and it, Stamets and Tilly uh, talking about May, we ended the last episode with them pulling the the May fungus out of uh, Tilly using. Uh, wow, there was uh, a lot of it. Yes, yeah, yeah. A, the, what was it? Oh, I forget what the spray that they used to spray, like the the uh, the fungus antifungal spray. It's basically I guess an advanced version of that. Where they pulled it out of Tilly and they've isolated it, and Tilly now feels guilt over her treatment of the real May that the mm. this creature took advantage of this of of her lingering guilty feelings and you know you think tilly i mean who who's nicer than tilly well apparently she still feels guilty about yeah. she she didn't treat her as well as she should have well, it's um, definitely tilly's insecurity coming out mm-hmm. right and we have this real creepy moment where she's kind of leaning against the the isolation chamber and the and yeah. the, the the fungus reaches up and kind of makes a hand there yeah, to touch which, mirroring Tilly's hand. Yep. Yeah. Which well, I, I had to laugh. We don't get that paid off the, in this episode. Well, I had Go to ahead. laugh though. You first saw the, the blob. It looked like a classic Doctor Who creature where it's the stage hand in this blob suit wriggling around. Because <laughs> <Yeah, that's right. laughs> it just kind of right. had random movements that kind of looked like that. Yep. Hey, you, okay, yeah. It, just least, put a guy in the suit and roll around there. At least yep. it wasn't green bubble wrap like the Ark in space. No, definitely <laughs> right, not. Right. But uh, they never paid off this uh, shape shifting thing in this, at least as far as we know. So, uh, you know, maybe put a pin in that. Maybe we're going to see something related to this shape shifting ability of the of the of the fungus. Um, Then uh, we get this sort of frame in the narrative here. But this moment between uh, Burnham and Pike, where Burnham says to Pike, I don't know if I should be the one trying to reach Spock. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if yeah. I should be the one who tries to 
now by the end of this episode she changes her mind because of all the things that they they're about to experience but there's this ongoing tension this idea of this broken relationship between burnham and spock and and they keep playing it a bit and it's this it's the frame for this whole season yeah well, and i i i have in my notes at this point getting tired of the what did michael do with spock subplot i was just gonna i was just thinking the right. same thing it's like here was yet another opportunity where she could come out and say here's what i did nope <laughs> right i mean she's hinted at she she wounded him so that he would you know stop following around like a lost puppy but but you know or something how, Here's, or here's, something. Here's here's my prediction on this. This is just my my prediction of of how they, it seems like they're writing this season. We're gonna finally meet Spock, and there's gonna be you know they're gonna be going along, and Spock's gonna be completely stone cold to her, and she's gonna be apologetic, and then there's just gonna be an eruption, and you did this to me, and da, 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 and that's when we're gonna <laughs> find out. We'll have an emotional Spock you know, because he's in some sort of. Uh, impaired state, mental exactly, state. Exactly, exactly. I, I just hope we get to Spock before, I mean, we need to have Spock by mid-season. If they drag it out right. longer than that, it's really going to get annoying. Well, they're running right. out of episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're because you know, they're kind of following him around in space, following his warp trail. It's like, just get to him. Just get, you know, <laughs> just, like, let's cut out the, the middle stuff. So we have this classic, so what we have is a classic standalone episode in a sense, in the middle of all this, mm-hmm. where, you know, the the Star Trek ship encounters a big space anomaly. And in this case, it's a giant, ultra-heavy, part organic, part mineral, 100,000-year-old sphere that's vibrating that pulls them out of warp. It's Mogo. Puts them, <laughs> Mogo from... Mogo from DC Comics. He's a planet who's also a Green Lantern. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so in this case, it's Mogo or Ego from... Uh, yeah, from uh, Marvel Universe. From Marvel Universe. The living uh, planet. So, I mean, at least, at least this felt like a classic... Star Trek episode. I you could have seen yeah. a next generation episode just like this. I mean, right. This really that felt that part right there felt classic Star Trek. And that that was good. And then we get this Tower of Babel moment uh on the uh on the uh, the bridge where the universal transitor has gone haywire and they can't communicate with each other and the the bridge uh systems are in all different languages and I'm thinking why do you like? Why did you just take off the communicator and talk to one another? Like, I mean, it looks like everybody on the on the bridge is from Earth, right? Yeah, they probably speak standard. I, I know. I was wondering why can't you all speak Federation standard, which is presumably a twenty fourth century or twenty third century version of English, yeah. um, right? I, I I think that the idea was this is an automatic system and they couldn't turn it off because right. that was the virus. The virus had it like jammed on. Well, and- it was part, part of the part of Mogo's attempt to communicate yeah. with them. <laughs> and it, it would make sense if you think about, you know, this is a starship crewed by people from hundreds of planets, thousands of planets, hundreds of thousands of languages that they not have to worry about being com- expressly fluent in Federation standard, a.k.a. English, where when they're on the bridge doing their job, especially at a crisis situation, they could speak in whatever language they're the most comfortable with at that moment. And so you would use UT for that. And on the other hand, when that when the technology goes haywire, as it does in Star Trek, oh, yes. as we just see right here, and that's got it. You've got to have a, a backup, the an analog mm-hmm. version of that where everybody in Starfleet has to learn 
Yep. If if they are biologically capable of it, have to learn uh, Federation standard. Yeah. I would think that would be basic. I'm, I'm sure they have that. But I think the point is, or I think what they wanted us to assume here is that because Mogo is trying to communicate with them, it's jammed yeah. the system. So even if they are all speaking in right. trying to speak in Federation standard, it's being masked by the universal translator and coming out in all exactly. these random okay. languages. And I think and that, that's fine. It, it makes it for an interesting dramatic moment. That's for and, sure. And, and it's I something like we haven't I, seen before, which yeah. is nice. I also and, like the Tower of Babel reference. I was just going to say yeah. the same thing. I like that as, as Saru comes into the bridge, Pike turns him and says, welcome to the Tower of Babel. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was most impressive all of the uh, uh actors having to learn their lines in multiple languages uh, mm -hmm. and and say them appropriately accented that was most that, impressive that would have been one of those scenes that would have been fun to watch behind the watch behind the set and you know see how many times yes. did they flub up lines and have to redo and exactly and it it was interesting to see that Saru's 94 languages come into play that we had Reference before in a previous episode. Yeah, and there, there were a couple of pickups like that from recent episodes, like Pike also not being wild about about volumetric displays. Yep, um, right. They mentioned that previously, and as a setup for the order in this episode to rip it all out. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, and then his cold comes comes up. Oh which yeah, it Linus turns is out cold. to be more than a cold. Yeah, right. And we we get to see Linus talk, and they also set up the. Tower of Babel moment earlier because Linus is having universal translator problems in the briefing right. before we get before all all Babel breaks loose. At least, right. at least and that, trying to make you more of a character than just the one punchline and the the in the, uh, in the in turbo the, lift turbo lift. Yeah, yeah. Linus being the uh, Saurian, the lizard, uh, uh, lizard uh, crewman, the reptoid, the, the reptoid. Yes, yeah. uh, the Silurian, and. Uh, so the, <laughs> yeah. sorry, all Wrong these Doctor show. Who references. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we we uh, that brings up an interesting point. So that the Universal Transitor issue started earlier. Saru's sickness started earlier. So this the 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 sphere was having an effect on the ship long before they actually encountered it. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, because uh, Saru basically says he's dying. Because the sphere triggered his biological response to being called, yes. uh, but he woke up sick that morning when they were nowhere near the sphere. And, and he, he explicitly says, as he's talking to Burnham a little later on, they're standing in the lab, and he says, you know, that we are an empathic species. You mm -hmm. know that that we, um, and that he he felt the effects of it before they were even close. They figure that warp, so they're moving at right. an extreme rate of speed, but he still felt felt the effects a long distance away. Mm -hmm. it, and you almost you almost have to assume that it was seeking them out for some yeah. reason. Yeah, you'd you'd have to. It's like okay, I'm getting ready to die, so you are my designated ferryman. Get over here so I can pay you. Exactly. Right. right. Okay. And because it was for whatever reason, we don't find out why, but and, maybe we will find out later. Yeah. And then it precipitated them from warp. Right. Uh, now we're back in engineering in the midst of this crisis. Janet Reno um, is back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I I just can't. It's, her first name starts with a J. Her last name is Reno. I mean, come on. Janet <laughs> I was Reno. about as humorless as Janet Reno was. Oh, did I say that? All? No. <laughs> she she kind of resembles well, Janet Reno, although well, I mean, spunkier. Yeah, spunkier, I'm yes. not the biggest fan of Jet Reno, so. 
I yeah, just it was just kind, like of, kind of a character. I liked, I liked the sparring with Stamets. It was nice to see Stamets getting some pushback. You know, I, he's well, he's going on, you know, about dilithium mining, ruining planets and wars yep. to control dilithium sources, which is all oil analogs. Oh, yes. Right. And and uh, and I love uh, Janet Reno's line. I could fix that analogy with duct tape, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, she insults the mushroom drive, which is great. Yeah. But but also. What happens That's in this more episode fan is service, by the way. Yeah. Yes, but also Stamets is like, oh, you know, it's more environmentally friendly. Gets turned on its head at the end of this episode because yeah, exactly what the the uh, fungal may yeah. comes back and says your drive, and this is what's going to end up getting rid of the the spore drive for Star Trek. Yep. Your drive is destroying our our universe. Yeah, and 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 so it's so it's not actually uh, environmentally friendly it's worse. for somebody's yeah. environment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so very interesting. Uh, I I do like the the back and forth insults though uh, on the on that. Uh, I I did I do kind of like Reno. I have to. I, 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 not, I do. I, the reason I'm not the biggest fan is she seems to one note. First of mm. all, you know, very monotone, and but also very sarcastic all the time yeah I, well i think she's I like, like spice <laughs> you can spice is okay in small doses i wouldn't want a constant diet of it yeah if they were going to feature her more in the in the series she'd need more personality which yeah. was kind of what what's stamets the complaint about stamets when last yeah. season he was one note just like this so it's kind of uh good to see that Maybe they'll be able to do something more with her if they, they use her more. Now, the other thing I want to have we ever seen the chief engineer of Discovery? We, we have not. And I was just going to mention that because I was confused. Yeah. I had assumed that Stamets was the chief engineer because he's, he's in charge yeah. of the propulsion for the ship. And, right. And and so when when Reno shows up and says the chief engineer assigned me to come down here and do stuff. I thought, wait, isn't Stamets the chief engineer? So I looked it up and no, he's like a specialist because of his. Yeah his scientific background in 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 mushroom pizza well, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of like a you uh what's the phrase i think like a contractor basically to yeah. starfleet because yeah. he's he's resigned he's going to go on and do teaching at the vulcan science academy and all that and right once they finally get done yeah. with the mission by the way speaking of science now dom you mentioned the uh the solurians episode of doctor who Right. And you may remember in that episode, we had a uh, power plant that was producing like uh, 200 megawatt or 200 uh, million electron volts of energy, which is like right. the impact of a snowflake. Well, here, <laughs> right. here we have uh, we've upped our game because in this episode, when the power goes haywire and in engineering and charges up the i guess the walls so they can't get out of engineering we're told it's 100 giga electron volts and i uh, i did some checking and 1 tera electron volt or 10 to the 12th electron volts yeah. is the kinetic energy of a flying mosquito so <laughs> 100 giga electron volts is a tenth of the kinetic energy of a flying mosquito, and so, that's what's keeping them in engineering. It might be the equivalent of shuffling your feet across the carpet and zapping yourself on the light switch. <laughs> Less yeah. than that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, where is Andre Bormanis to come in and fix the science in this episode? Come on. Andre Bormanis will be the longtime uh, uh, Star Trek science consultant who ended up becoming a scriptwriter. Who now works out on the Orville, I think, actually. Oh, that's, that's funny. Uh, where he's yeah, working these days. They were explicit, though, that that level of power could kill us. <laughs> So, well, it might draw a little bit of your blood. 
it should have just gone with 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. That would, have been, that would have been the right thing to do. Uh, so the, the systems are failing all over the ship. Saru and uh, his cold and Burnham are running about trying to get things working again. Uh, they assume it's a giant space virus, uh, which which turns out to be basically uh, it acts like a, a virus in, in that sense. And uh, Saru, um, he... I'm trying to think. It's at this point is when he starts to think that he's yeah he, he's he going out to of die. Denial. He's he's moving into the new stage of Kubler Ross's five stages of dying. Um, right. He's heading into the acceptance stage of what's happening to him, and he realizes he's undergoing Vaharai, which they referenced in the short trek um, that featured him. Yep. Um, and but they didn't explain it there and they explain it here as it's when it's a biological change that gets them ready to be eaten by the Ba'ul. And if they don't get eaten by the Ba'ul, they get driven mad or that's what they've been led to believe. Right. And die right. anyway. And because their fear tentacles, I forget what they call the ganglia, ganglia. Uh, mm-hmm. are in, get so inflamed and painful that it drives them mad with the pain. Yeah. And he also starts talking about his sister again, which he's mentioned recently uh, to Burnham. But now he he says, basically, you're my new sister. Right. Uh, and he's, uh, he's ashamed that his race submits to death compared to Burnham, who has fought for every breath. Um, and, uh, and he she should says, be. <laughs> this makes no sense evolutionarily or very. I mean, they right. set it up the way you would need to. Right. The 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 idea of a species that is a purely prey species. Um and Burnham says, Oh, I'm your friend, so there's no judgment between us and um Well there is... sure there sure has been in the past. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of it. Mutually. Yeah, I mean they 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 became, in fact I have to say the closeness between them here and the emotional reaction of Burnham seems a little over the top for the relationship as it's been established so far. I mean, I get their colleagues and friendly, but Burnham gets like, you're my only friend sort of friend, like uh, devastated mm-hmm. about Saru here, which just seems a little, uh, I mean, if you, if you really not think paid for, I mean, you think about it, the whole events of the two seasons so far has been a couple of months at most. Right. Cause season two started right where season one left off. On the on the other hand, they were especially after the Lorca reveal last season. These two were the people who were in charge of the discovery and finishing the war, and so mm-hmm. that, that's a lot of that that can create a lot of intimacy between people. Um, but you look uh, at you look at how they they started season one, and they were at each other's throats constantly. There was it, it wasn't right. a friendly rivalry. It was they they were they were pretty vicious to each other actually. Yeah, but I think they've laid the groundwork, given what they went through in season one, that they're vastly closer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, OK, uh, I, I I didn't I didn't feel it, but I, I could I could acknowledge you know, that just, maybe we'll, I'm we'll not just blaming on, on uh, Michael Burnham being raised in Vulcan and she doesn't have full control of her emotions. Her emotions are out of whack. Yeah, let's, let's do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, so then we get to Stamets figures out how to communicate with the fungal May. By using the mycelial network gizmo that he used, mm-hmm. um, which gives Burnham the idea of how to talk to the sphere. Um, yeah. And by the way, at this point, the fungal entity is like stuck to Tilly's arm. And, right. And I'm going, why don't you use the, the floodlight you used last 
episode to just yank it off of her because right. you pulled right. it out of her lungs last time. Now it's just on her epidermis. Yeah, yeah. They, they sort of seem to ignore the uh, uh, the plot device from from la- from last week. Um, <laughs> So the so the virus is the, becomes the means of communication, and then they find out that the sphere came, or Saru says the sphere came to them to die. Um, mm-hmm. That so we get this reveal, and then now here's where we get start transforming into the next generation, where Saru becomes Council Troy, and he mm-hmm. starts sensing the sphere's feelings. Oh yes, um, and I'm thinking this is a this is a bad direction to go with this character. That's not. I don't think we need Saru to start becoming an empath it was never established that he was empathic before as far as i can tell well i they the closest they came to that was saying his species can feel the approach of death so Mm -hmm. there's some kind of empathic ability that seems to be related to the ganglia so now that his ganglia have fallen out maybe it won't come back right well that's true that's true yeah the spoilers to the uh, end of the episode but uh (laughs) but meanwhile so saru is sensing impending death the sphere is about to die Tilly thinks that she's about to die too. And so uh down in engineering, um uh Stamets is trying to keep her calm by singing her favorite song, which is a three hundred year old pop song. Space Oddity. Space Oddity yeah. by David Bowie. And I'm thinking Better come, known better come, known as Major Tom. Yeah. Oh, I mean no, I get annoyed when the Orville does well. I know it's in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know technically, but it's it, when people think of the Everybody David Bowie Major Tom yes. song, it's Space Oddity. Yes, exactly. When we also um, had a Prince reference right before yes. that. So apparently twenty late twentieth century music is getting a big revival in uh in the twenty third century. Yeah. Well, and it will be big in the twenty fourth when Tom Paris is all over the twenty the twentieth century. Like everybody doesn't everybody in the future just love the twentieth century? Well it's like, you know, everybody's into the eighties right now, so it's the same kind of thing, right? <laughs> this would be like being into the fifteenth century. <laughs> all those <laughs> cats. Yes. <laughs> all right so um maybe that well there are people who are into the 15th century so maybe what do i know people who uh, <laughs> uh, society for, for creative Ac- or anachronism advances uh in the future I, so I, um, I, like, I like how burnham is trying to reason out what's happening and saying okay this is a slow attack so it's inefficient it must this sphere must need something maybe it's not hostile and then she says it's not logical for a virus to kill its host. And I'm going, do you know how viruses work? That's kind of what <laughs> they mean, like, do. You mean like yeah. AIDS? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like AIDS kills its host. Like vi- viruses, <laughs> Ebola kills its host. Yeah. That's what viruses it, do. It, and sometimes the killing the host is deliberate as part mm-hmm. of its spreading mechanism. Right. Uh, yeah, that that uh, sometimes I just like I want to pull aside the, the screenwriter and go, did you even look this up before you wrote it? Did you Come even on. look at Wikipedia? I mean, that's all you got to do. Now, if they had said it's right. not logical for a symbiote to kill its host, right. that's absolutely 100% correct. Right. Yeah. Well, she's under a lot of stress right now. So we, we'll give her a pass on that. Uh, so May, as a fungal May, as, as, we, as we mentioned before, reveals that why Discovery can't use the jump drive to get away from the sphere uh, because the jump drive, the spore drive, is ravaging the environment of the creatures that live in the mycelial network. And then she absorbs Tilly Boop, inside yep. the thing. And and she also says that the name of her species is the Jossep. And I'm really impressed that fungus can pronounce the English syllables Jossep. Um, and that in their <laughs> own fungus land, they, they, have, they have morphemes that map onto English that well. 
Right. Yes. Well, I mean, she's she's speaking English right now, isn't she? And in the uh, as a fungal name, maybe Josep is the 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 vocalization of the mental projection of what they really are called. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this would be untranslatable. (laughs) Right. We'd have to give them it's we'd have to give them their name because their name is going to be unpronounceable in English. Exactly. Funguses. Right. Right. So, I mean, there sometimes you just got to, you know. Say it's it's you know like we said before it's a TV show and yeah. we're, 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 we'll we'll take it. Um, so she absorbs Tilly into this into herself uh, the, the 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 fungus. Um, then then Stamets and uh, Reno have to get her out. They cut it open, pull her out, and then she ends back up in, <laughs> inside yeah. it again later. So I'm not sure what all this well, in and out was. I, about. I, the implication was because the fungus has been manipulating Tilly biochemically to get her to mm-hmm. comply with what it wants. And right. the, in, the implication is that the fungus, once it absorbs Tilly, it starts manipulating uh, Janet Reno and Stamets too. Yes. So that they're hallucinating right. this. They only thought they got Tilly out of it, That's but was, they didn't really. She's still in there and that it's still going to be in there next week. That was my thought too I when they had that. the whole uh, you know episode where they're tripping on the spores from that fungal creature and then when they take the shot all of a sudden she's not there anymore yeah oh okay i i totally i totally missed that yeah so it's yeah that i, I agree with jimmy it, it, she, they, they really never did rescue her oh all right i'm gonna have to re- re-watch that one more time just to, to make sure i yeah to, to, to catch that uh anyway so uh my my missing that uh i may not have been alone in missing that either so the uh i like that the sphere um reversed the polarity of the field to uh, push mm-hmm. Discovery free before the detonation, um, the the second Doctor was, was it was like, it a neutron uh, third or Doctor Proud, third, third, yeah. third Doctor. Yes, uh, I, I was hoping there was some something about neutrons would come up about it. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Saru is getting ready to die. Now here's here's a big a big part of this that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is Saru wants to commit assisted suicide. Essentially, mm-hmm. he's he's <clears throat> you know he doesn't have the Baul to come and call him. Um, and so he wants to die, as he says, die peacefully before the pain and madness overtake me. And he asks Burnham to do the deed with his um, sister's knife that she gave him at the end of the short track. Uh, right. So the short and, track was uh, all to set up this episode or at least this part of the episode. Right. Or or they decided to use the short track uh, or well, it's related anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, so Burnham doesn't want to do it i mean who who, who would? would right uh you know she's being kind of forced into this right. uh act and he the ganglia falls out on their own surprise surprise as and, she's starting to cut them right right she just barely touches them with the knife and they fall out and now and now he realizes he has no fear like his like mm-hmm. the, the, he's no longer fearful of a prey species and i'm thinking to myself the what's the message here the message is there's always hope. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like you know, it, 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 suicide is is a final act and it's, it precludes any type of hope or anything else. Um, I thought that was a, a I, I was kind of trying to figure out what they were trying to do with this, whether they were, they know, were trying to have an agenda or just part of the episode. I, I've seen some commentators and I kind of agree with it that this was intended to be a pro euthanasia message. But well, not, they didn't course, do it very well. No, I know right. that. I know that. But, you know, this idea that he should have had the option to do that, that there shouldn't have been any 
problems with it, that when it was when he felt like it was time for him to go, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, this is a main character, so we can't kill off our main character because this is American TV, not other shows that do that. I I didn't have as much of a problem with it from I mean, I I thought that uh, I just treated it as a he's not a human, but I treated this as a human moment. Mm-hmm. Where right. um, he's he's even though it's not a real world moral request, um, nevertheless, it is something that some people faced with that situation would do. And asking mm-hmm. a loved one to do it is something that has been done in the mm-hmm. real world. And it can make the person who's asked to do it extremely uncomfortable and uncertain. And I just thought it was an emotionally real moment in that respect. Um, I thought it was less real after the ganglia fell out. And he says, "Ooh, I, my fear is gone. I've never felt like this before. And I'm going, really, you don't remember the blue crystal planet you were on last season where you were hopped up on blue crystal stuff and, and you didn't feel any fear there and didn't want to leave. Um, Right. And he, then he, he and, forgot it because his his hangover from that. No, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, he, um, but then also, so you're so you've had now this big revelation that the great balance that your planet believes in is a lie. But really, nobody else has had their ganglia fall out within recorded memory or within living memory and not gone mad. And you didn't see that and wonder about it. There aren't like secret uh well, the great balance is all a lie rumors on your planet they, there was never I, I, the way i i read i read it if you will that it was never established that anybody actually survived you know missed out on the culling that as soon as they yeah. were to be called they were called so this this whole idea of that you would go you'd go mad if you skipped the great culling was kind of a fearful you know if if you don't go through it you're gonna go crazy well, you how know, would they know was, if nobody ever did? It was, and that's the point is it was, you know, a false oh. story. Of course, hmm. we see that in we see that in uh, our, our own world uh, now where there are a lot of uh, rumors about the bad things that can happen, which no one which has never actually been able to prove, you know, they're urban legends, essentially. Right. If, you, uh, if, you Kel- now, if you don't go to bed right now, you know, telling if you don't go to bed right now, the boogeyman's going to get you. Well, that's just right. a lie. I mean, and that's the point. <laughs> Well, right. I, I find it suspicious that if this were really uh, there are always going to be people who get missed, who have mm-hmm. and and right. I, I just it hurt the credibility for me. What I did like, though, was Saru's quarters with all that moss and stuff. And he's sleeps cool. on yeah. moss. That was cool. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah, it, it there's a it wasn't just the standard, you know, officers quarters that, you know, that. There, there is some nod to different species having different requirements in their living conditions, um, and uh, and and that was that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so, yeah, also so- we got to see Saru with his shirt off, which was interesting because whereas a lot of species have like color markings on their skin. You know, like mm-hmm. dogs and cats and cows and stuff. Um, I mean, they have color markings in their fur. Um, he, instead of having color markings, has these texture markings. On his right. skin, right? Yes, a very, very, yeah, very. Uh, is it interesting? I mean, that Doug Jones has made a career out of wearing uh, uh, the uh, plastic masks and and costumes. Oh, yeah. over his and and I got a, a lot of a lot of uh, credit to him for that. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so they've got the the complete download of of a hundred thousand years of uh, of this. Our galaxy's Dead Sea Scrolls. 
Yes. It, it, like, it, it, it probably all fit on one of Discovery's thumb drives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of those thumb drives. <laughs> Which will never come back to haunt us in the future because it's going to take centuries to study. Yep. Right. Right. So well, all this it, knowledge it, is it, not really our knowledge. And if they are <laughs> the Dead Sea, the galaxy's Dead Sea Scrolls, well, the Dead Sea Scrolls took on reasonably long to publish, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so we have this, uh, we, we, as we close out the episode, we have this, uh, Burnham's change of heart about Spock, where she, now she wants to be there when, for him, when they find him, um, because of her experiences with Saru in the uh, sphere. Uh, and then we have, uh, we we're back to the Tilly and Stamets and Reno, um, where Tilly is, uh, absorbed into the mycelial network, uh, while Stamets and Reno have a really bad trip. Uh, and uh, like something out of leaving Las Vegas, and uh, and then uh, apparently in next week, next episode, they're going to be caught up into that world, uh, the mycelial world, trying to get uh, Tilly back and try to find out what is this other thing that May has been grooming Tilly for. That's the other thing. So, uh, any yeah. last notes on this episode? I like that they uh, talked about uh, trepanation in this episode, drilling mm-hmm. holes in people's heads. Yes. Um, I also <clears throat> don't like their gold foil tennis shoes that they wear <laughs> as part of their uniforms. Because just <laughs> yeah. having that gold foil strip around the edge or silver foil strip around the edge of your tennis shoes just draws way too much attention to them. Mm. Right. Just the whole tennis shoe thing is a little, yeah, it's a little ad- ad- Day class A a little bit, um, but uh, if, Father Corey, any last notes? Uh, just a couple, couple of the medical things. Uh, you know, you mentioned the trepanation. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't oh. have any kind of painkiller in the med kit that they used to sterilize the bit. I mean, nothing right. at all. Not even aspirin. Um, and then you know, the death is inevitable on this super high tech starship that's got a med bay that can cure everything from the common cold to cancer. Right. And genetically re-engineer everything. Yeah. 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 I did think, though, um, I, I noticed in this episode, oh, their medical uniforms are, in fact, white, which, of course, they have been mm-hmm. all along. But it struck me as actually that's a good choice for medical uniforms because it's going to show in, you know, if they get dirty and get stuff on them, you know, right. biomatter and stuff that's uh, in treating people, that would actually be a good color choice. Yep. Right. And that's why yeah, uh, medical uniforms are generally like lab coats and that stuff are white uh, to yeah. show any. Um, Except when they're that... dressing in green surgical scrubs and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, you why don't, you don't see a lot of the anymore. white yeah. dresses or lab coats yeah. as much anymore. It, it usually is. Even for doctors are usually colored yeah. scrubs. I guess it used to be. Yeah, I mm-hmm. guess it used to be all white. Uh, so we got a little bit of feedback from uh, last time on our when we talked about the last episode points of light. Uh, Matthew McLean. Uh, yes, thanks. Sorry. It's uh, channeling uh, George H.W. Bush there. Point of light. Uh, Matthew McLean uh, commented on our YouTube channel. He said uh, Section 31's control. That's uh, the the off screen character that was mentioned um, is a featured part of some of the latest Deep Space Nine relaunch novels. Uh, hmm. so it'll be interesting if they're looking to bring some of that into on-screen canon, um, in, uh, yeah, they've, they've relaunched a new Deep Space Nine, uh, series of, of Star Trek novels. Interesting. Uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that they had done that. I'll have to go look them up. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rolaren is now the commander of D- uh, DS9, apparently. Unfortunately, they <clears throat> they haven't released them in a way that lets you listen to them on Kindle or audiobook, mm. so I haven't yeah. listened to them. So uh, thank you, Matthew, for that. And uh, so let's, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, before we close out, I just want to do, as we uh, as we would like to do every time, is we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible yeah. for us to create Secrets of Star Trek. Um, and uh, one of the things we like to do is, is to thank them. Uh, also, uh, every once in a while, we try to uh, give them something a little extra, uh, something um, like an advanced notice or advanced peek at different things we're working on and that sort of thing. Um, so there's, there's some benefits to becoming a patron. But we do want to thank them. And today we want to thank by name uh, Leslie H., Jeff V., Lindsay S., uh, Imad A., and David S., it's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give uh, that they make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you could join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you think of an O-Ball for Charon? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page, which is at s- uh, facebook.com slash Media and leave us some feedback on the episode there or send an email to trek at sqpn.com you can find any links uh, that we discussed uh, in our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode Saints of Imperfection Mm. that'd be like almost all of them yeah (laughs) exactly until then uh, Father Corey Stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek oh my pleasure and thank you Dom And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, you don't know me, Doc. I'm uninsultable, especially by a guy who thinks he can run a ship on mushrooms that I pick off my pizza. (laughs) Ha ha ha!